This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Should we start? Now let's just start. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa وَإِذِ اسْتَسْقَى مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ فَقُلْنَا اضْرِبْ بِعَصَاكَ الْحَجَرَ فَانْفَجَرَتْ مِنْهُ اثْنَتَا عَشْرَةَ عَيْنًا قَدْ عَلِمَ كُلُّ أُنَاسٍ مَشْرَبَهُمْ كُلُوا وَاشْرَبُوا مِنْ رِزْقِ اللَّهِ وَلَا تَعْثَوْا فِي الْأَرْضِ مُفْسِدِينَ وَإِذْ قُلْتُمْ يَا مُوسَى لَنْ نَصْبِرَ عَلَى طَعَامٍ وَاحِدٍ فَادْعُ لَنَا رَبَّكَ يُخْرِجْ لَنَا مِمَّا تُنْبِتُ الْأَرْضُ مِنْ بَقُلِهَا وَقِثَّائِهَا وَفُومِهَا وَعَدَسِهَا وَبَصَلِهَا قَالَ أَتَسْتَبْدِلُونَ الَّذِي هُوَ أَدْنَى بِالَّذِي هُوَ خَيْرٍ اهبطوا مصرا فإن لكم ما سألتم وضربت عليهم الذلة والمسكنة وباءوا بغضب من الله ذلك بأنهم كانوا يكفرون بآيات الله ويقتلون النبيين بغير الحق ذلك بما عصوا وكانوا يعتدون رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي فالحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين ثم اما بعد ونسجن ايوان السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته so two outstanding things before i move on inshallah ta'ala one matter in the style of the Qur'an that is very, uh, it's a recurring theme in the Qur'an and something that gets easily overlooked is something in Arabic called iltifat, which easily in English it's translated as transition. Transition means Allah is talking in the second person, He's talking to you, and all of a sudden He starts talking in the third person, in other words He's talking about you. To put that simply, He's saying you, 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 and all of a sudden He instead of continuing with you. Or he's saying all of you, all of you, all of you, and all of a sudden they. Even if it's talking about the same bunch of people, which can get a little bit confusing. Actually, we passed by an ayah of this case, of this nature, just not too long ago. وَظَلَّلْنَا عَلَيْكُمُ الْغَمَامُ وَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكُمْ الْمَنَّ وَالسَّلْوَى كُلُوا مِن طَيِّبَاتِ مَا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ All of this is actually all of you. We, we provided you continuous shade with the clouds. We read about that. We sent down upon you manna and salwa. Remember manna being those plants that produce and then salwa being the quail. Kulu, all of you, eat from the good and pure things of what we've provided you. Mimarazaknakum, again you. Wama valamuna, and they didn't wrong us. Walakin kanu anfusahum yadlimun, they were only doing wrong to themselves. The expectation here was, Wama valam tumuna, walakin kuntum anfusakum tadlimun. You didn't wrong us, you were wronging yourselves. You would continue the discussion in the second person, keeping everything as a you. But rather halfway through the ayah, or by the, by the time the ayah concludes, there's a switch over to they. Simply speaking, when I'm talking to you, it must mean that you're nearby. And if you're far away, I cannot talk to you, I can only talk about you. Right? So logically speaking, when you hear the use of the word you, that actually suggests that someone is nearby. And when you use the word they or he, it actually implies that they're not in direct conversation with you, so you're not talking to them, you're talking about them, they are far away. Rhetorically what the Qur'an does, is actually uses this to illustrate how Allah is displeased with a group of people. He was dignifying them by talking to them, but He's so upset with them that He pushes them away from Himself and speaks about them, not to them. This is called tab'id in Arabic, to distance yourself from somebody and to speak about them and not to them. To make a simple example of this for you, to understand sometimes kids get into a fight. Like girls do this a lot. Girls fight each other and they don't talk to each other. Like boys will punch each other and they get over it. But girls, their thing is they're not going to talk to each other. Right? So they're sitting both at the same dining table, and you know, Hassan and Wali are sitting there, they're mad at each other, and there's a salt thing right there, and she wants to have her sister pass the salt, so she'll say, Abba, could you tell someone to pass the salt? And the other one will say, if someone wants the salt, someone can get up and get it for themselves. <laughs> well, if someone is 
too lazy to give it to someone else, then that's their problem. Oh God, stop! Here's the salt. <laughs> they can't talk to each other, they're talking about each other, and that's an expression of how upset they are with each other. You understand? So the idea is, Allah was talking to them, look, I gave you cloud, I gave you manna, I gave you salwa, I told you eat from the good and pure things I've provided you. But then you did a lot of messed up things that Allah doesn't even mention, and it's as though He stops talking to them. He stops talking to them. And it's as though then He turned to us. So if He's not talking to them, then who's He talking to? Ourselves. Like imagine half of the, the audience in front of me, this side, messed up. And I'm like, I did this for you, and that for you, and that for you. You, useless. And then I say, by the way, they didn't wrong me, they wronged themselves. They didn't do a crime against me, they did a crime against themselves. Why would I turn to you and talk about them? Because you're up next. Now it's your turn. So while Allah is saying, وَمَا ظَلَمُونَا وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ It's as though He turned His attention away from Banu Israel, but He brought His attention to this ummah, and said, you better not repeat this mistake, because I'm no longer talking to them, but now you're up. SubhanAllah. That's the iltifat that I wanted to bring to your attention, the transition that I wanted to bring to your attention. The other thing, I was still curious because the ayah, ayah this is ayah number 59, uh, we read it yesterday, فَبَدَلَ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا قَوْلًا غَيْرَ الَّذِي قِيلَ لَهُمْ فَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا رِجْزًا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ They replaced the word hitta, remember yesterday with hinta. And Allah says they replaced the word with something other than what was told to them. And then He says, then we sent down a terrible disease of a punishment upon them from the sky. That would have been enough. They said this, therefore they were punished with this. There's the crime and there's the punishment. But what's curious about this ayah is there's the crime, supposedly the crime, then there's the punishment, but then there's the crime again. بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ We sent them the ridges from the sky, this punishment from the sky, because of the corruption they continuously engaged in. You can't have one punishment and give two reasons, one before and one after. The first reason seemed to be, they said this word, they replaced the word. And then when Allah mentions the punishment, you would imagine immediately as a result of them making a mockery of requesting Allah to lighten their burden, to forgive them, that as a result, Allah sent that punishment from the sky. Then the matter would have been closed. But Allah is actually illustrating that that was the, you know how they say in English, the straw that broke the camel's back? It's the last thing, it's, it's the last straw, basically. They had done a whole bunch of crimes, and this was the last of them that tipped the iceberg, and that was it. That was the end of it, it tipped the scales, and that's when the punishment came. So what was this bimakanu yafsukun? The Qur'an is actually silent about it. What was, what was that corruption that they continually engaged in? And I tried to find the answer in the Torah. Like in the Hebrew Bible, what is it? What is, is there a reference to this kind of a punishment coming from the sky? And in fact, there is. And it surrounds the story of this victory. There's a city near Philistine called Shatim that they conquered. In the, this is in the Torah, they, the, the story that they have. And when they conquered the city, they went in and there were all these, these this people practiced a religion that had all kinds of pagan rituals. And their women threw themselves at the conquering men. So the Muslims who've conquered it, these women tried to seduce them. And they would say, if you join some of our rituals, we'll let you have our way with them. And these men committed massive, the Torah says they committed massive acts of zina, and they engaged in these kinds of rituals. And that's when Allah descended His punishment upon them. He had opened that land for them so they could worship Him, and they could be grateful. And the first thing they do is they engage in acts of shamelessness, and they do worship, and they do rituals that are complete shirk. So Allah has a punishment, sent a punishment from the sky, a disease from the sky, and it afflicted them. And the, the biblical account is about 24,000 of them died. 24,000 people died as a result of this disease that was sent down upon them. Does the Qur'an say any of this? No. And that's significant. Because the Qur'an says, وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٌ Qur'an says that Allah will tell you about what they did, but He's gonna cover up a lot too. He's not gonna put you to shame. You know the idea that the Qur'an is somehow anti-Semitic, or it humiliates the Jewish people, or it incriminates them, I tell you, compare the same account from the Bible, from the, their own record, and compare what the Qur'an says, and you will find Qur'an, what you call in Urdu, izzat bachayye bar bar. Allah just saves their dignity. Over and over again, He doesn't spell it out, because if you spell it out from the, what they have in their own books, eh, it's ugly. It's ugly. They wouldn't want that out in public kind of thing. 
though it's in their, in their record, in their books. But the Qur'an takes dignified language. Because of the corruption, there was a, you know, a punishment sent to them. What that corruption was is not sent out. Now, in the next ayah, before I read this ayah to you, I'll just read the first part. When Musa السلام, asked for water for his people. When Musa السلام, asked for water for his people. Now this is going to take me a little over five minutes to do. But I'm going to read some excerpts from a translation of the Old Testament for you. Listen carefully. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, Rephidim is also pronounced, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they, gambled, they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered, by the way, stone, who's ready to stone him in the Bible? Which people? The people of Egypt? His own people. His own people. In, later on in Surah Al-Dukhan, Allah Azza wa Jal will on the, on, on the tongue of Musa alayhi salam, أَنْتَرْجُمُونَ إِنِّي عُثْتُ بِرَبِّي وَرَبِّكُمْ أَنْتَرْجُمُونَ وَإِن لَمْ تُؤْمِنُوا لِي فَأْتَزِلُونَ Musa alayhi salam said to the Egyptians that I seek Allah's refuge that you will stone me to death. And if you won't believe in what I have to say, then at least leave me alone. That's what Musa salam said, not to his people, but to the pharaohs. And now he's crossed the water, according to the Hebrew Bible. He's with the, his own people, the ones he rescued, and he turns to Allah and says, they're about to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Horeb is the other name of Sinai. Okay, Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Masah and Maribah, because, of the, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, is the Lord among us or not? That's what the Israelites said to him. Is the Lord among us or not? This is one account in the Bible of what happened. Now what does the Qur'an say? I started with that. Musa Musa asked for water for his people. That's all the Qur'an says. Qur'an doesn't say they came, they were about to stone him, they were humiliating him, they were asking, Where is, is God even with us or not? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To get us killed out here? Qur'an doesn't spell any of this out. The Qur'an dignifies the children of Israel and simply says, Musa salam went and asked Allah for water. That's it. Subhanallah. That's when you appreciate when Allah says, I told you the ayah before, وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٌ Allah pardons a lot of history in the Qur'an. He overlooks a lot of history in the Qur'an as a favor to these people. Then on the other side, and by the way, this is important to know also because most of the sahaba, most of the people that were listening to these ayat, they don't have the background. They don't know what the Banu Israel did. The only people who knew what they did is themselves. And Allah says even about them that they hide their book. So these things were not known among the people. They were known among the knowledgeable among them. So the masses of people did not have a bad opinion of them based on their books. So Allah actually protected their dignity in this way. And they should have appreciated how Allah is you know, not entirely exposing us and letting us hang out to dry. The Urdu expression comes in my mind, you know, He hasn't exposed us entirely. He hasn't you know, humiliated us before the people. Here's the other account in the Bible before I go on. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, which is Qudus, basically. That's the pronunciation. There, Miriam died. Oh, this is an interesting tangent. A woman named, what died? Miriam, which is close to what Arabic name that we have in the Qur'an? Maryam. Now, Maryam, of course, is the mother of? But there's one place in the Qur'an, that's curious. Maryam salamun alayha, when she came back with a baby, people were horrified that this woman, who's not even married, has a baby with her. And they yelled at her. And when they yelled at her, they said something. They said, Ya ukhta Harun. Ya ukhta Harun. Which means what? Sister of Harun. But she's not the sister of Harun. 
Harun is thousands of years ago at the time of who? Musa alayhi he's the older brother of Musa and she's the mother of Isa. So why are they calling her the sister of Harun? Because Musa and Harun have a sister. And her name in the Bible is what? Maryam. So they said sister of Harun, meaning you were named after the sister of Harun. You were the one who saved Musa alayhi salam when he was a child. And that heroine of Islam, that pillar of Islam, she's the one who inspired your name and you did such a dirty thing. And that's why she's called Ya Ukhta Harun. On a side note, subhanAllah. So when you name someone, the lesson you learned is when you name, we name our children Abu Bakr, Umar. You name your children Uthman, some children are named Muhammad, some children are you know, named Hud, Yunus, Salih, Shu'aib. These are names among, our, among the Muslims. When you call your children these names, then you have to actually make them very familiar of the legacy of those names. So they feel an, like an obligation almost to live up to the name that they've been given. When a girl is named Maryam, she should know a lot about Maryam. She should know a lot about Maryam. And she should know about both Maryams actually. Which two Maryams? The Maryam that's the mother of Isa, and the Maryam that's the sister of Musa and Harun salam. Okay, so anyway, that's a side note. But anyway, there, so Musa alayhi salam's sister dies in the desert. Then Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? That, that we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. I can hear you guys. I, can hear, I told you, right? I told you. Okay. It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So they fall into sajda and Allah Azza wa speaks to them. The Lord says to Moses, Take the staff. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. Meaning he has to gather all of the Israelites, according to the Bible, stand by the rock, and then say to them, you will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, now this is what Moses says to them, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raises his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and this is the part where we completely disagree. Now it's actually in the, in, the, in the Torah, what you find is one, the Quran hides the faults of Banu Israel. And the other, the Quran absolves the, the accusations, the false accusations made against prophets in the, in the Bible. And Quran proves them innocent. They didn't even, how are they going to spare Muhammad al-Rasulullah, Muhammad al-Arabi? How are they going to spare him? They didn't even spare Musa and Harun and the changes they made. Look at what they said in their record. Because, the, so God is speaking to Aaron and Moses, and He says, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as, the, as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. In other words, the biblical account now became, because Musa and Harun somehow did not trust Allah enough, the punishment of that will be they will not have a, a, a land to have victory in. The Qur'an comes and t- paints an entirely opposite picture. They, were, they said to the people, Allah has promised you a land, trust Allah. And here, look at the flip language. You didn't trust Allah enough. <laughs> they say Musa and Harun didn't trust Allah enough. Qur'an says, Musa and Harun came to the people and said, trust Allah, He has guaranteed you victory. And they said, you, you, we're sitting here, you go fight. They flipped the narrative and the Qur'an told the story as it was, like it set the record state. These were the warders of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where He, he proved holy among them. So this is, this is the idea of how, I just wanted to share with you what the Qur'an says, as opposed to what they have. And how the Qur'an is actually, you know, really salvaging a really tarnished dignity. When Musa asked for water for his people, So we said, strike with, that, with the staff of yours, the rock. Then twelve springs came forth out of it. The Bible doesn't mention that there were twelve springs. There's no record of twelve springs in the Bible. The only time you find twelve springs is in the Qur'an. That's a Qur'an exclusive. Now why in the world twelve? 
those 12, 12 tribes, and they're not even going to spare a prophet among them. How are they going to spare each other? So Allah describes there were 12, 12 springs. Every group of people knew their place of drink. Eat and drink from the provision Allah has given you. Now, kulu washrabu has been completed. Why? What was given before? Manna and salwa. So now, kulu was covered. Now, ishrabu is also there. So, kulu washrabu min rizqillah. Eat and drink from the provision Allah has provided. Wala ta'athaw fil ardi mufsidin. And don't go wild in the land, causing all kinds of corruption. The word atha actually comes in the meaning of afsada, which means to cause corruption. But it's actually ashaddul fasad. The, the worst kind of corruption. The word atha or uthu comes lonun ila sawadi ma'akathrati sha'ar. When somebody lets their hair go crazy and they don't tame themselves at all, and they're, they're, you know, they, they just look kind of, when you look at them, it's mostly just hair. And they're like they've been in the jungle for a long time kind of thing. That is actually called someone who experienced uthu. Allah is actually turning to them and saying, don't go wild, don't lose your civility causing corruption and in creating corruption wherever you go. This is actually a statement by Allah to suggest that when they used to question Musa salam, they used to turn into a violent mob. Even the Bible says they're about to stone me. Right? They lose control. And so Allah you know, captures the wilderness that they exhibited in their behavior in the phrase, وَلَا تَعْثَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُفْسِدِينَ As opposed to saying, وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Don't cause corruption in the land. No, don't be wild in creating corruption as you go about creating corruption in the land. But now time passes, وَإِذْ قُلْتُمْ يَا مُوسَى Then we said, Musa, لَن نَصْبِرَ عَلَى طَعَامٍ وَاحِدٍ We cannot bear just one single kind of meal. لَن نَصْبِرَ عَلَى طَعَامٍ وَاحِدٍ فَادْعُ لَنَا رَبَّكَ Then make dua, pray, call upon your master, your Lord, for us. Look, if you want more food, what should you do? Make dua. Make dua. But they don't make dua. They come to Musa salam and say, Hey, you need to call your Lord to, and ask Him for us. By the way, this is not the first time you find this phrase in the Qur'an. This phrase that they uttered after having crossed the water is in common, identical to the same... This exact phrase was used by the Egyptians on the other side of the water when the nine signs hit them and they were in terrible trouble, they, they were humbled by the, the power of those signs, and the Egyptian empire was weakened, the Pharaoh's power was weakened, and the chiefs had come to Musa salam and said, literally, Ud'u lana rabbak. Call on your Lord for us. What did that suggest? Look, we're still not going to believe in your God, but at least you pray to Him. We know He's powerful enough to solve our problems, but we're still not going to humble ourselves before Him. There's still a pride that's just keep... You want the benefits from, you, from this God, but you don't want to humble yourself before Him. And that same like arrogant schizophrenic prayer or that request makes its way all the way to the Israelites on the other side of the water. They reiterate, Ud'u lana rabbak. Make dua to your Rabb. What is it not? Your Rabb? Ud'u lana rabbana. Rabb al-alameen. Nope. Rabbak. Your Rabb. You know, on a side note, you should note in the Qur'an... How is Allah described with the word Rabb? Rabb al-alameen. Rabb al-samawati wal-ard. Rabbukum wa rabbu abaikum wal-awaleen. He's the master of all nations and all people. The skies and the earth. Your master and the master of your ancient ancestors. When Allah uses the word Rabb, He uses the word and after it, He puts all kinds of things. In the biblical account, you'll study, especially for the Jewish people, God is the God of Israel. They don't describe him as the God of the skies and the earth, the God of all creation, the master of all peoples, the master of all nations. No, no, no. The master of, the God of Israel. That's it. Over and over again. Over and over again. That's what it is. And there, our religion is centered around one thing. The core of our religion is ibadah. That's our religion. We didn't, Allah says, I didn't create jinn or human beings for any other purpose except that they should worship me. Worship and servitude to Allah is the core of our faith. The core of the biblical message of faith is actually the land. They made it into the land. The land of Israel, the promised land, the promise of the God of Israel that He will give them Israel and the sacrifices that are to be made so that the land can be secured. It's all about the land. And that's one thing that still hasn't changed in the mindset. Because that's something that when, when the account was altered, all they remember is the promise made by Allah. That's it. But the, none of the obligations that came with that promise. 
So they say, We just can't deal with one kind of food anymore. Why don't you make dua to us for, for us to your master? If you pray to him, then يُخْرِجْ is majzum, jawabu talab, what's called. When you pray to him, and if you pray to him, then he will bring out what comes out of the earth. In other words, it's your fault, Musa. You're not asking him. Why'd you just get us manna and salwa? You could have got us a full menu. We could have had french fries and ketchup. and We could have had salad on the side. Hold the coleslaw. We could have had the whole... You're not making dua. This is your fault. You need to go and ask him. Because once you do, he will respond. And you know he hates us and loves you. And we know he's biased towards you. So you go pray to him. اُدْعُوا لَنَا رَبَّكَ يُخْرِجْ لَنَا مِمَّا تُنْبِتُوا الْأَرْضِ And then they make a list. مِنْ بَقْلِهَا Why don't you call him to bring out from the earth? That would have been enough. No, no, no. Let's give you some suggestions. Here's what I'd like. I'd like some herbs. مِنْ بَقْلِهَا All kinds of greens. I miss those. They really add flavor to the, you know, the masala and the salad. وَقِثَّائِهَا Oh, and cucumbers. Make sure you tell them cucumbers. وَفُومِهَا And garlic. Garlic is really important. You know? And then, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. We're not done. Hold on. I mean, she's writing this down. وَعَدَسِهَا And make sure you get lentil. I miss some dal, man. I need some dal. And وَبَصَلِهَا And onions. Critical. Seriously, what meal is complete without onions? Oh my God. Would you, would you like fries with that? <laughs> you want extra mayonnaise with that order? They're telling Musa alayhi salam, get us these ingredients like they're sending him groceries. You know, get this, get this, get this. They could have just said, ask for, for more food or ask for risk or we make dua to Allah to make us patient over what we have. No, no, no. You need to get these things. for. How disrespectful. How disrespectful. How defiant. Now, let's read the biblical equivalent in Numbers 11.5, chapter 11, verse 5. If we only had meat to eat. Quran mentions meat or no? Uh-uh. The fish we used to get in Egypt for nothing. Because they used to live by the water, pull out the fish. Does Quran mention fish? No. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Does Quran mention these things? It does mention, but it skipped the, the melons, yeah? So the Quran mentions only a few of the many items the Bible lists. Even here Allah spared them. <laughs> you ask for one, two, three, four, five things in the, the Bible, the list is a lot longer. You ask for a lot lo- longer. And as the Banu Israel are listening to the Qur'an say this, they're like, actually we asked for like eight more things. <laughs> he's, he's still saving their dignity. He's still going easy on them. Had Allah wanted, He could have quoted the whole thing. You asked for fish, you asked for meat, you asked for this, you asked for... Oh my God. And then by the way, these items, these food items that they asked for, herbs, cucumbers, garlic, lentil, and onion, these were widely available from the lower to the upper classes of Egyptian society. And these items were used to make royal food, delicious food in Egypt. So you have to understand, when they're asking him for this food, where did the idea for garlic and lentil and onion, you know, and herbs and cucumbers, where did this idea come from? Where did they even learn about these vegetables? They learned about them back in Egypt. Yeah, that's what they learned about these names. And now they're sitting here going, man, I missed that food. I used to add some serious one, that fatouche on the side, that rabuli, you know. Ah, you know. Now when they, when they say this, this is where you have to pause and appreciate something. And then you'll understand the language that's coming. They used to live in Egypt as what? Slaves. Uh, slavery is similar to prison. You can compare slavery to prison. Somebody comes out of prison. Finally free. And as they are sitting there free, one day these guys that are all inmates from prison sitting back and, man, I miss my prison food. There used to be some good stuff they used to give us back in the jail. The warden used to make the... that we used to eat out of. It was good stuff, man. If you're free and you miss prison food, then you don't just miss the food. It's like you're asking for what again? prison. It's like you have no appreciation for freedom. You have no appreciate, no taste for what it means to have freedom. So by asking for the food of Egypt, 
It's no different. They don't realize they're asking for a life of humiliation and slavery and indignation that was in Egypt. And Musa salam recognizes this for what it is. And he tries to teach them by saying, قَالَ أَتَسْتَبْدِلُونَ الَّذِي هُوَ أَدْنَى بِالَّذِي هُوَ Are you trying to replace something that is much better, that is clearly better for you, with something that is inferior? What is that something? Because it's they didn't say alati. They said alati. It's a lot of stuff. If you take all of the items they say, then you would here find the things that are inferior with the thing that is better. But actually, he's comparing one thing to one thing, not a list of foods to the list of foods. He's actually comparing the provision given by a tyrant king in a state of slavery. Either you're going to be slaves to Fir'aun, or you're going to be slaves to Allah. And as, when you were slaves to Fir'aun, he gave you these vegetables. And now you're slaves to Allah, and he's giving you manna salwa and this water. What do you want? Which slavery do you want? There, Musa in his language is actually comparing the two slaveries. And in this, this concept is important to understand. In slavery to Allah, it is only in slavery to Allah that a human being finds freedom. The Qur'an's concept of freedom is actually only under the shade of Allah's slavery. When a human being becomes Allah's slave, they are no longer slave to trends, to fashion, to money, to other people's standards, to other, you know, uh, other ethics, other morals. They just have to make Allah happy. They don't have to make people happy. They don't have to fit in with anybody else. They have been freed from all the other pressures in society because they accepted slavery to Allah. We don't understand this core concept of slavery, which is actually deeply associated with freedom. You have kids, you know, we, we tout in the United States that we have freedom. And Western society, on westernized societies really, not even Western society. Westernized societies are societies that, that celebrate the idea that we have complete freedom. I went to high school here, I didn't feel free. I didn't feel free. When you go into high school, there's a group of guys that are into hip-hop and they dress a certain way and listen to a certain kind of music and talk a certain kind of talk. And they have a certain kind of hangout. And if you're going to fit in with them, you better become like them. And if you don't... That's their uniform, literally. And it's their, not just uniform in dress, which is there, but it's also the uniform in how you're speaking, how you're acting, how you're behaving. There's another group of kids, they have their own clique. And if you're going to be part of them, you have to transform yourself into looking, talking, walking like them. This, this idea of like social slavery, like you have to become like this group of people if you want to fit with them. You can't just be yourself. This stupid idea that I'm myself. Why, how are you yourself? How is that you being yourself? That you're dying to get this, the, our, our girls, dying to get the same backpack as the other girls have. Or wearing the same shirt, or getting the same shoes that every other, like, why are you, I thought you're free. Why are you a slave to this brand? <laughs> Until you wear this brand, it's like you're not even a dignified human being. People check your kicks, they look at your t-shirt, they look at it, and then, then you're worth something. You know? This, this is, and this is like, I went to high school a long time ago, a very long time ago. But the, and, and fashion may have changed, trends may have changed, but this cliquish behavior and social slavery hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. That's not freedom. That's not freedom at all. And so when you, when you enslave yourself to Allah, you get free from all this stuff. This is what Musa salam is trying to tell them. Yes, life here is difficult in the desert. You only have one kind of food, I acknowledge that. But the one thing you get that you could have never had there, is that the only one you have to make happy is Allah. That's it. You're not enslaved to anybody else. And so, أَتَسْتَبْدِلُونَ الَّذِي هُوَ أَدْنَى بِالَّذِي هُوَ خَيْرٍ He then says to them one of the most amazing sarcastic phrases in the Qur'an, Yes, there is sarcasm in the Qur'an. He says, اِهْبِطُوا مِصْرًا اِهْبِطُوا مِصْرًا Translated, go down into any countryside. Go down, descend into any countryside. Of course, they're in the mountainous region by Sinai, so they're going to descend if they descend. If they move forward, they're going to descend. So اِهْبِطُوا works here. But this is an echo. I, sh- I explained the concept of echoes to you yesterday. اِهْبِطُوا is not the first time that the surah is using it. Ihbitu was used when Adam salam was sent down from Jannah twice. Ihbitu ba'dukum li ba'din adu. Ihbitu minha jami'an. Come down from it all together. When greed, when greed came, Allah mentioned hubut. Adam salam 
whatever happened as a result of greed, as a result of temptation, hubut. These people are, and by the way, that was also about food, wasn't it? That was about food. There's one food you shouldn't go for. Be happy with what you've got. The same exact test with the Israelites. Here's the food you've got. No, we want what we don't have. We want that. You want that? Fine, ihbitu. Descend again. Ihbitu. The idea of coming lower, by the way. Human beings, there's no lower, you know, there's no low they can't reach. That's why the Quran even uses the phrase along the lines of this imagery, ثُمَّ رَدَدْنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ Then we reduced him to the lowest of those who go low. You keep on descending and keep on descending. The lesson being taught here through this phrase is that human greed brings people down. It degrades people. Your, your unsatiated temptations and your unsatiated appetite, if the deen of Allah is not going to put a check on it, then you are only going to end up humiliating yourself. And you'll degrade yourself more and more and more and more and more. Ihbitu. But he didn't just say ihbitu. He said ihbitu misran. Misran has a tanween at the end. You hear the an at the end. This is not ihbitu misra. If you say ihbitu misra and you don't put the tanween, it actually means Egypt. If you say misran, it means countryside. As a matter of fact, when it's a mamnu' min al-sarf word, meaning you just have a fatha, misra, then it's referring to the actual country of Egypt. But that wouldn't make sense, because then it's like Musa alayhi saying, go back to Egypt. But he didn't say misra, he said what? Misran. But of all the, all the words available in the vocabulary of the Semitic languages, including Arabic, you could say ihbitu baladan, ardan, qaryatan, madinatan, you could say so many words to say, descend into any town, any, any land, any region. He chose the one word that is so close to what country? Egypt. Because he's trying to tell them, you idiots are asking for Egypt all over again. So why don't you, it's like he's saying, why don't you go down to another Egypt? Ibitu Misran. This is the sarcasm of Musa salam. And so as he says this, you need to appreciate the next phrase that Musa, this, these are the two things Musa salam says, or three things. First he says, you're replacing something better with something worse. Which isn't about food, it's about what? Freedom versus slavery. You know, slavery to Allah versus slavery to Firam. That's what that's about. The second thing, go down to another Egypt. I think you're asking for another Egypt, go. And then he says, فَإِنَّ لَكُمْ مَا سَأَلْتُمْ No doubt what you've asked for is, you're, you're gonna have it. You people, particularly, are gonna have what you asked for. Let me put that in common American English now. You're gonna get what you asked for. Oh, you're gonna get it alright. You asked for it. When you say you asked for it, then I, they think they asked for salad, cucumbers and lentils. But what they asked for is the life of Egypt all over again. Now so before we go, because the, the ayah is long, before we go further, let's qualify the life of Egypt. The life of Egypt is three things, essentially. If you were to describe the life of Egypt, it would be a com- What makes it so bad? Three things make it bad. The first thing is slavery to anyone other than Allah is humiliating. Human beings being enslaved by other human beings is a humiliating way to live. And Allah Azza wa Jalla even describes that humiliation early on when He says, "Yasumunakum su al-adabi yudabbihuna abnaakum wa yastahyuna nisaakum." So the humiliation is the first problem with a life of slavery. If you give a slave the choice to be free, if he has any self-respect, the first thing he would want is freedom. That's the first thing. The second thing is that in slavery, let's compare slavery to other kinds of labor. Like there's a slave who works at a farm, and there's a farmer who works on a farm. A slave who works on a farm, even if he's working on the farm his entire life, is there any promotion? Is there a better future for his children? Is there any progress? Is there any hope that his children will have a better life or anything? Or he's stuck in the same place? He's stuck in the same place. But on the other side, a farmer who's working on the land also, but he's not a slave, when he works year after year after year, maybe he's having a little, he has a little more savings. Maybe he bought the farm now. Maybe he has another farm now. Maybe his children, he can send them off to the city to get a better education. There's hopes for a better future or no? Right? There's progress possible. So what does slavery do? It doesn't just humiliate people, it keeps them exactly where they are and where they were. So many of our parents and their parents did not have a high education. So many people in the Muslim world, their, their grandparents or their parents did not have a high education. And they sacrificed to send their children to school. 
They took all of their savings to get their children, you know, even some education. And then those children got a better education for their children. And now they moved up the social ladder, so to speak. And they don't realize that that's actually the product of some farmer back in the generations that decided that they're going to provide their next generation a better future. We actually step on the blood, sweat, and tears of our ancestors to get where we are. It didn't just happen. You know, we, you know I went to school, but I went to school because my parents were able to afford me putting to school. But they were only able to do so because their parents provided them an education. Somebody made sacrifices before me for me to benefit from that labor. But if you cannot change your state, your father was in that state, you're in that state, your children will be in that state, and there is no future for you, that is actually the Arabic term maskana. Maskana is a combination of masaka and sakana. Masaka means to stop, sakana means to remain stationary. It is to absolutely remain in the same exact helpless state. From it you get the word miskin. You've heard the word miskin before. It's not just used for poor people. Miskin linguistically suggests somebody who is not able to change their situation. They're stuck. They're paralyzed. You know, and that's the, that's the person who can't get a job because of sickness. No matter what they do, their state doesn't look like it's going to improve any. They're a miskin. Now, the first problem with slavery was humiliation. The second problem is you're stuck in the same place. You with me so far? But for the Egyptians, there was a third added problem. This bad, these two are bad enough. But there's a third problem. Every few years, what does the Pharaoh do? He, he goes crazy and he kills all the baby boys. He does this mass genocidal crazy thing to these people. And anybody who even so much as looks up gets slaughtered and executed. The al adab yudabbihuna abna'akum. In other words, they are victims of the rage of a tyrant king. They are victims of the rage of a tyrant king. Three items that I highlighted to you. Now look, Musa alayhi salam said, go into another Misr which is translated another land, but sarcastically, what does it mean? You guys deserve another Egypt. You'll get what you asked for. What list does Allah make? وَضُرِبَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ Humiliation was slapped on them. What did I say was the first problem in the life of Egypt? Humiliation. الذِلَّة He says, وَضُرِبَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ وَالْمَسْكَنَة And the inability to get out of that state was slapped onto them. They could not change their state. That was the second thing that was slapped onto them. What was the third problem? Do you remember? They used to receive the rage of who? The king. The king. But this time they haven't made Fir'aun angry. Who have they made angry now? Allah. Allah, Allah says, وَبَاءُوا بِغَضَبٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ They drew upon themselves rage from Allah. بَاءَ يَعْنِي رَجَعَ They brought back to themselves. They returned onto themselves. Rage from Allah. Ba'a in Arabic, very interesting verb. It's even used for marriage. Ba'al mar'a actually means to marry a woman. Tabawu is also used for when you settle with your wife somewhere. Like a married life settlement is called tabawu in Arabic. And so the use of the word ba'u bi ghadabin min Allah suggests they were married to the rage from Allah. Like they couldn't let go of doing things that would cause them to be in, for Allah to be enraged with them over and over and over again. They kept on doing this stuff. Allah Azza wa Jal describes, this is after Egypt, these three things that Allah helped them escape from became their fate because of their greed. But then the question arises again. This is the style of the Qur'an now. Is this only because they asked for tomatoes? Well, they didn't ask for tomatoes. Cucumbers? I like tomatoes I threw in it. You know, is it, they just ask for dal and cucumbers and you know, lentil a little bit and now Allah says, you shall be humiliated for generations. That seems a bit harsh. Remember before we saw that they changed hitta to hinta, and thousands died according to the Bible, but that wasn't actually the reason. The reason was other corruption. Same thing in this ayah again. The crime is mentioned, then the punishment is mentioned, then you're told that the crime that was mentioned was just the tip of the iceberg. Here's the actual crime that brought them to this state. What was that crime? ذَٰلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ This is all one ayah. ذَٰلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ That is because they were continuously in denial of the miraculous signs of Allah. They were continuously denying the miraculous revelations and the signs of Allah. Allah gave them one after another after another and nothing budged them. They wouldn't move. You know, Muslims, 
I met a guy, um, he was actually a student of mine when I used to teach at NASA Community College. He was an agnost, and he really wanted to believe in God. He just really, really wanted to believe in God. And I was an Arabic teacher there, and he decided that he's going to study the Qur'an on his own and just ask me questions whenever he has a question. So he used to read the Qur'an and ask me these questions, and he's a very intelligent guy. And he said to me one day, look, I think everything in the Qur'an that I've read makes sense to me. Everything makes sense. I want to be Muslim. There's just one thing. I was like, what is it? Because I need to see a miracle. I need to see something from what the Qur'an calls the unseen. I want to make it seen. Anything. Angel, God, a glimpse of the after, something. Is there anything? I've heard there are exorcisms. Can I see a jinn at least? Can you take me to an exorcism and I could see a jinn, a creature of smokeless fire? I just need to see and I'm ready to believe. He just needs to see a miracle. And he says, if I could get that, I was like, oh, yeah, you ain't going to get that. You ain't going to get that. Sorry. Because it doesn't work on your demands. You have to come to this deen with thought. And if this, this was a religion for, for just you know, animals. Animals can be convinced by what they see. They see a fire, they run the other way. This religion was given to human beings who can think about something and arrive at a conclusion. They don't have to see it. They have to realize it. They have to conclude it. You have to think and arrive at a conclusion. You don't have to see two times two is four. You have to think through it. And you arrive at that conclusion. When you see smoke far away, you don't have to go near the, Oh no, I don't think there's a fire. There's smoke. Which means even if you haven't seen the fire, there's definitely a fire. You have the mind to be able to tell from evidence there's something there that you can't see. That's how Allah created the human being. Ability to process information and arrive at conclusions that may not be obvious. This is the aql of the human being. Allah does not insult that intellect. And that's why I told you, when Allah sends miracles to see, then if you still don't believe, what does He do? Then He punishes. Because now I've given you what is enough to convince even an animal. You still don't believe? So now, these people, why did they draw upon themselves the rage of Allah? Because they saw not one, but multiple miracles from Allah. And once you see a miracle, there's no justifiable explanation left for you to defy Allah. There's no explanation left. And Allah's sunnah has always been those who He shows a miracle to, and they still disbelieve, they get the ghadab of Allah. So they drew, they drew upon themselves the ghadab of Allah. And this would have been enough for Allah to be angry with them. This was enough for Allah to be angry with the nation of Salih, with Nuh, with, with other prophets. This would have been enough. But they didn't stop there. That wasn't, that, that wasn't the only crime. What else did they do? And they continuously engaged in the killing of prophets without justification. And it's very interesting that the word yaqtulun is used in the present tense. In the present tense. They continued to do so as if to say, still, they would still do so if they had the chance. Even in the life of Rasulullah they're conspiring with the Quraysh to see if we can get this man assassinated somehow. If we can get him killed somehow. Without the justification of doing so. With no rightful justification. And we already saw, who did they almost kill? Musa they're about to, That's what their own book says. We're not saying that, that's what their own book says. You know? And so Allah just calls it out and says, why do you think I'm angry at you? You're so innocent. You continuously disregarded the ayat of Allah. You killed prophets without justification. Before I move further, I do want to point the finger at ourselves because this sounds like we're doing like a lot of Bani Israel bashing. We have to take a step back and bash ourselves a little bit. Rasulullah says in a famous hadith, Ulama'u ummati ka'anbiya'i Bani Israel. The scholars of my ummah are like the prophets of the Israelites. The scholars of my ummah are like the prophets of the Israelites. Why? Because the prophets of the Israelites did not bring a new revelation. They only came to confirm Torah. The only book they had was Torah. And prophets kept coming and read. They, they corrupted the teachings of Torah. Scholars came and said, let's go back to Torah. They got killed. Because the ulama said, the other corrupt ulama, other classes among them said, no, 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 no. Who is this guy teaching Torah? Who does he think he is? We don't like what he's doing. He's removing our authority. And they would get him killed. They would bash him, humiliate him, discredit him to the point where it was okay, easy to kill them. This is what they did. 
Does that sound like... The Muslims would never do that with our scholars, right? We would never like bash our scholars or humiliate them for speaking out the truth or actually even come after them and, and try to kill them. And st- uh, We could never do anything like that. Ah, I'm just silly. And by the way, when you do that, when you deny the ayat of Allah and you kill the prophets or the equivalent of prophets of the Israelites in our time, which is who? In our ummah? Scholars. When you do that, what does Allah do? What does Allah do with the Israelites? What were they hit with? Humiliation? Inability to change their condition? And rage from Allah. That's what they got. Look at the ummah today. Just look at it. What does it look like this ummah is receiving? You know? And then you ask, why? Why isn't Allah helping? What are you doing to your own? Everybody's willing to blame this government, or that government, or this Western civilization, or that Western... What are we doing to ourselves? What are we doing to ourselves? How many ulama that I know of that were either there was an attempt to kill them, there was an attempt to kill them, or they were killed? Not by anybody else, by Muslims. By Muslims. Because somebody disagreed with something they said. Somebody didn't like it. They're ready to kill them. SubhanAllah. This is, this is what we're guilty of. We can't even point the finger anywhere else. وَيَقْتُلُونَ النَّبِيِّينَ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ ذَلِكَ بِمَا عَصَوْا All of that. And why did they kill the Prophet? So the reason for their humiliation is they did this. Denial of miracles and killing of prophets. But then the question is, why did they deny the miracles? Why did they kill the prophets? That also has a reason. The ayah is so compound. Here's the reason for this. You know, X is the reason for Y. And here's the reason for X also. Here's the reason for why did they deny the prophets, and why did they kill prophets, and why did they deny the miracles. That's because of the disobedience they used to do. They just wanted to disobey. God has very simple commandments, Allah has very simple expectations, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to be brought back to the obedience of Allah. That's it. That's all there is. That's all it is. And that was how far disobedience can take a human being. How far they can go in their animosity. And they used to continuously cross the limits. And that's the final commentary of Allah on this issue. وَكَانُوا يَعْتَدُونَ اِعْتِدَاء in Arabic, to cross the boundary. To cross the boundary. And to violate, to offend somebody also. They used to continuously cross the boundaries with Allah. What is the Muslim supposed to understand from this? Allah Azza wa Jal has given us a handful of boundaries. تِلْكَ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ فَلَا تَعْتَدُوهَا Those are the boundaries set by Allah. Don't cross them. Don't cross those boundaries. There are some things like, لَا تَقْرَبُوا zina. Don't go near zina. Allah just said it straightforward. Don't go near this boundary. This is bad for you. It's a shameless thing and a horrible path to go down. But now the Muslim wants to go near it and near it and near it and near it and near it. To the point where first, you know, there are phases of, of nifaq when it comes to disobedience to Allah. Phases of hypocrisy. In the first phase, all the Muslim wants is to say, I'm not doing it, I'm just going close to it. It's not that bad. The next phase is, I'm not as bad as some other people, you know. They do a lot more stuff. At least I'm not doing that. <coughs> then they get even closer to it. Then they say, I can't help myself. Make dua for me. I know I do it. I know it's bad. But what can I do? just addicted, you know. Then they go a little step further and they say, what's wrong with it? Why can't I be happy? Why can't you just let me live my life? I just want to be free. And that's the point where asaw wa kanu When somebody reminds you that it's wrong, you hate them because you say you're trampling over my freedom. You're stepping on my space. Get off. Let me live my life the way I want. That's the mentality described here. Sin happens. Human beings sin. كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمْ خَطَّعُونَ All children of Adam are people who make mistakes over and over and over again. But these people, Allah is not just describing that they're making mistakes. They continuously cross the lines. And in crossing the lines, if anybody gets in their way, even if they're prophets, they're going to get killed. And no matter what evidence you show them, even if it's miracles of God, it's not going to be enough because I want to do what I want to do, man. I don't care about no evidence. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. You can't stop me. There are some people who say, if you just told people the proper evidence, if you just educated them, even if you just give them the proper dalil, and the haq was made clear on them, they wouldn't do anything bad anymore. What are you talking about? What? 
What do you think these guys, they don't know? They're, they're in the company of prophets day in and day out, generation after generation. Nobody knows the truth better than they do. And, that, and yet, the ones that teach them the truth, most clearly, they're ready to kill them. And if you think that maybe they were confused or there was some wrong justification for which they killed Prophet, Allah adds, بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ There was no imaginable justification for which they killed prophets. They had absolutely no right to do so. All of it was just their defiance. All of it was just their rebellion. Then the Bible's words echo in my mind. When Moses said to them, rebels! He didn't even say Israelites. Ya Bani Israel, Ya Qub. Quran never says, Ya Buha. Rebels. Quran doesn't, when Musa speaks to them, he says, Ya Qawmi, my people. Isa says, Ya Bani Israel. The Torah says, rebels. You want me to get water out of here? You want me to bring water out of this rock? And why would he talk like that? Why wouldn't he just put the water out of the rock? He would talk like that to say, are you going to become a little more human after this? Can you not treat me the way you do like this? The, the Torah says they're almost about to stone me. What does the Qur'an say? Lima tu'dunani. Why do you cause me pain? Why do you hurt me? وَقَدْ تَعْلَمُونَ أَنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ You already know I'm Allah's messenger among you. SubhanAllah. You know, I, I, I want to leave you with this thought as we read about the accounts of Banu Israel. Rasulullah in several hadith reminded us that this history is actually a study of our own current and our own future. You know? This, the history of the Israelites, حَدِّثُوا عَنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ وَلَا حَرَجٍ Talk about the Israelites. Speak on their behalf. Speak from their sources. There's no harm. That's what the Prophet said. عَلَيْهِ صَلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ حَدِّثُوا عَنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ وَلَا حَرَجٍ Why? لَا يَأْتِيَنَّ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي مَا تَعَلَىٰ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ our destinies are intertwined, our histories are intertwined, their corruptions will become our corruptions, their diseases are not historical, they are current events. As we study this, please understand, we're not just studying history, we're studying current events. We're studying the state of the ummah. That's actually the approach with which we're supposed to study this text. The study, the, the account of the Israelites. Because there's, it's not an accident that after Allah is going to be done with the account of the Israelites, the next half of this surah is going to be, Ya ayyuha ladina amanu. Your turn. Now I'll talk to you directly. Now that you know what mistakes to avoid from, your, from the past, now let's deal with how, you, how you're going to fix your future. May Allah Azza wa Jal make us conscious of this idea and this mentality. Please understand, the Qur'an is not condemning the Jewish people as a race. Yes, there is actually in the Qur'an that they, as a nation, will go through trials. But when Allah condemns a nation, that doesn't mean He condemns individuals. A nation's fate and an individual's fate are two different things. They as people, if your neighbor is Jewish, your friend is Jewish, your co-worker is Jewish, your, your fellow college students are Jewish or whatever, they're not, the ayah is not talking about that person. Them as a nation, Allah Azza wa Jal dictated their fate in certain things in the course of history. When we get to those, we'll see when that happened and how that happened. It happened actually ala lisani Dawood. It was actually Dawood salam who lost his temper with them. And that's when he, you know, he cursed and he made a dua against them. When a prophet makes dua against you, it's going to hit. You know? That's not even something someone, like Allah did, their own messenger did it. salam, Right? But that still doesn't condemn them as individuals. That's still not about the people you, like you don't read these ayat and say, you know I have a friend, he's just like this. No. Actually, you know who's closer to this? <laughs> That's the scary part. That's the scary. They used to play, for example. Think about it. Just leave it. One of the most, the worst crimes they did in the Quran. They used to pray. They play with the Sabbath. They were told, "Don't do business on the Sabbath. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with Yom Sabt." What were we given instead? We're not given the Sabbath. What are we given? Jumah. And people mess with Jumah or no? For business reasons. Or show up, like. In accounting, they call it lifeo, right? Last in, first out, right? Like salah is one forty-five, iqama must be two ten. I'll get there two thirteen, right before the salam. You know, got it. Clear. What happened to fasaul? It was playing with the law, just playing with the law of Allah, not leaving the store, not leaving the business. You know, circumventing the, this, this beautiful injunction that Allah Azza gave us that keeps up the spirit of the Ummah, this prayer. This is what we do. They did it with the Sabbath. We do it with Jum'ah. And they were asked for 24 hours. 
We'll ask for one, 45 minutes. That's all we're asked for. Not even that. We can't even uphold that, subhanAllah. May Allah Azza wa make us the people of Tawbah and make us realize that this is not a condemnation of them, but rather a condemnation of all those who exhibit this kind of behavior. Allahumma la taj'alna minhum. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa al-dhikri al-Hakim.